Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, we are here. It is April the 10th, just after the nine o'clock hour. It's been been a minute since we chatted. A lot has gone down. Big, big day for you uh, eight days ago. Um, how does it feel to be a year older and presumably a little bit wiser? Yeah, we try every year. Yeah, it's uh, birthday month for the boys. So I, I kicked it off last week. Ricky, Ricky, you got something coming up in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's always been a fun month. A bunch of our friends are a bunch of our close friends are weirdly all born in April. So lots of celebrations this time of year, which is always a good time. Good time to get the guys together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like a lot of fun sports going on. Uh, Easter, really. I mean, all sorts of things to, to celebrate. April's the best month of the year. I, it, it's certainly right up there. I think, honestly, that's a very subjective point of view, but even objectively, like, this is one of those, like, all the Abrahamic religions have their holidays are happening simultaneously this year. Ramadan's been going on for a long time, for a few weeks now, and now uh, Passover was this past week, and Easter was this past weekend. So happy holidays to everyone that celebrated those. I think it's, like, a couple of the greatest sports weekends of the year. Like, we had... The final four, obviously March Madness, and then into the final four at the beginning of April this past weekend. We had the Masters. You have the NBA is wrapping up their season. The NHL is wrapping up their season. Opening day, baseball just started up. It's like it's uh, so much is happening in a, a really good way. So yeah, it's it's been a, a busy couple weeks in addition to all of the things that you and I normally get going. On. Yeah, right. Like in. In some in some ways, springtime really feels like the start of the new year, despite it having started a couple of, couple of months back. But that may just be, as you noted, the subjective lens of a few April babies. No, no, for sure. But what are we talking about this episode, Ricky? It's actually one of the things that you have been up to over the past couple of weeks. I know. I, I, con- I convened a special session here as I uh, just... just just completed my first, what feels like my first real tour of jury duty. I had, I've got a lot to, I've got a lot to get off my chest. And um, if, you know, you're one of my friends who had the misfortune of catching up with me the last couple of days, you might, might hear this story for a second time. But every time I tell it, I feel like I'm uncovering something new. Uh, but yeah, excited to, to tell you about my, my two week adventure in jury duty. Well, I, for one, Ricky, am very excited to hear about it. It's the first time that I will have heard about it in full, and I'm super interested. So I hope that this will be interesting for other people as well. But before we get into that, reminder to everyone that even after a two-week break, this podcast is still brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, uh, I had a nice little Easter supper with my family yesterday. We had ham, which we we rarely have, but feels like a very like an Easter food in some ways. 
So in that spirit, um, what is a pig's favorite type of tree? Pig's favorite type of tree. Stump me again. Back at it. Mahogany. I don't even get it. Mahog. Mahog. Oh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> and on that note, when we come back, we'll get into jury duty once he composes himself. <laughs> So if you've been following us on any of the various ways you can follow us, like posted something on Instagram a couple of weeks ago of Ricky being like, you know, being an adult is every week. You're like, I just got to get through this week and then I'll be okay next week. I'll have a chance to breathe and like do all of my like normal life things and catch up on work. And then all of a sudden you're called for jury duty and you think, Hey, I'm going in for an hour. And then they tell you, you got to be off for the next two weeks. And so Ricky has over these past two weeks, that's where Ricky has been doing. And while I have heard bits and pieces, obviously he couldn't talk about the trial as was happening. And there are still certain things he's not going to be able to tell us, but uh, he had, we've been texting as, as we often do. And Ricky, you, you were like, Oh my goodness, there's so many things I, I want to tell you. Uh, there's so many things I want to talk about with you. And just, I mean, I think from, a friend perspective, but also from like a, a podcast co-host perspective, but also as obviously um, someone that's a, a budding lawyer. Uh, so I think like all of those perspectives potentially would be interesting for me to hear and for, for you to tell your story too. And then over the weekend, you text me, you you finally finished up this jury duty and you're like, we can do, I can just do a whole podcast on, on just the, the jury duty process and selection of my experience. So I was like, all right, let's do that. Cause I do think that'd be interesting um, as we get into fewer and fewer people serve on juries these days. And so while it's something that I think lots of people are kind of aware of conceptually, very few people, relatively speaking, are, have the experience of serving on a jury and let alone for a trial of significant length or a fairly significant length that, that you served on. So I, like, again, I am very personally interested to hear your thoughts and perspective on everything. And so um, I'll throw it, throw it to you. What, what do you got for us? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think about where to start. And, you know, before before people turn out to yeah, tune out just thinking that this is uh a uh a recounting of my like experience as a juror serving uh like a like a traffic violation or some kind of civil case. It's it's not that I ended up being on a on a murder case and I think you'll appreciate that I took my both as a juror, not to talk about the case while it was happening. Very serious. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and and I actually, uh, following the case, I asked the judge what you're allowed to talk about. And she was like, basically everything except for how you deliberated. Um, yeah. How, how, like what, like the inner workings of the deliberations, but everything else is basically but or is not off limits because the case has now been settled and so it's it's effectively done and done and dusted a part of the record so the it was <clears throat> i mean well, that's very responsible of you yeah so it's well, a good disclaimer for everyone out there when people are like is he allowed to say that he asked he's okay yeah i did i did and and jenny uh will will also vouch that um even across even across sort of the the marital circle of trust. Though I don't know, 
it was if it was that necessarily if it was that necessary it was requested of me and i and i did oblige um which was i think an interesting i feel like my first like light bulb of how like interesting this jury process is for a case of this magnitude like obviously when we're talking about big like federal investigations involving murder like some broader corruption right they're like sequestering the jury which means that they take them all and put them in up in a hotel somewhere for the length of the trial so they physically cannot talk to anybody here for something that's going on in the state superior court um they kind of just trust that you'll that you're not going to do that and they trust that you're not going to try and do outside research or um in my case because the crime scene was actually like 10 minutes from my house um it, it was in Upham's corner which you'll you'll know that area very well for people who are not from Boston it's in like the Dorchester area of Boston which is a, a I don't know how you describe it maybe like a city suburb that's you know very close to the 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 heart of the city kind of, kind of um yeah really like a stone's throw from from downtown and very close to my house an area that I drive by a lot and so you know part of the instruction is like don't go over there don't try and like look at and try and figure things out for yourself kind of because something that I probably should have known but was never really made clear to me in uh in all my years watching law and order is that like that the only pieces of evidence that you're allowed to consider are those which are like presented to you throughout the trial, which was, I think, as I got through the process, something that was interesting, but also very frustrating because it just felt like in so many different places, we were uh, denied crucial bits of information trying to like figure stuff out. So anyways, I'm going to quickly lay out the case um as it was presented to me so basically I'm so i'm just like i'm interested i'm like hanging on the edge of my seat here because again like i've talked to you kind of throughout these last few weeks but you were just very vague to your credit and now i feel like i'm getting the full story so go ahead yeah yeah so we're gonna rewind basically five years ago which is a long time between a crime and a trial i think covid had something to do with that um we learned later that there were some some things, I, I mean, I think the investigation actually took a long time and you'll see why when I tell you the evidence was pretty, pretty sparse. And then there were, yeah, some other like life events for prosecutors, defense attorneys and things like that, that have just like prolonged this, um, yeah, prolonged this trial. But we'll rewind pre-COVID times, March of 2018, <clears throat> basically a group of friends, a group of five friends they go out for a night of, you know, same kind of things that that you and I have had been up to in our in our earlier uh, more raucous years and basically start off at one of their friends's house, have a couple of drinks, head to the local um, bar lounge area, um, have a few more drinks. And then um, around 2, 2 a.m. when the bars let out, they're debating amongst themselves what their next move is and uh two of the five want to go home uh two of the five seem to want to go to an after party and one seems ambivalent he ends up getting so one of them gets dropped off um and another one in the car <clears throat> is now you know part of the contingent that's trying to go home 
he tries to get a ride to meet up with his uh, a couple of his other friends who are at a pizza shop in, in Upham's Corner, one of the only ones that's open until 3 a.m. And then the rest of the night takes just like a ridiculously bad turn. Um, the next thing that we hear, the the gentleman who wanted to go home ends up stabbed in a parking lot. Two, two stab wounds um, is effectively what they find um two other or like a group of other guys actually finds him in the parking lot um calls 911 they the EMS uh BPD fire they all like rush to the scene within maybe within 5 to 10 minutes of this happening they rush him over to um to Boston Medical Center where uh, uh, unfortunately, tragically, he's found or he's pronounced dead. So now um, they've got the, like the police are like trying to recreate the scene and, of course, complicating things on this, uh, you know, early spring, late winter night in March of 2018. Um, it's raining and then snowing and pretty much like all of the physical evidence that may or may not have been on the ground um, is like effectively washed away. Um, no murder weapon is found. No, um, really no like blood outside of like the immediate scene of the crime is found. And so what you end up, and so what ends up happening is, you know, the police are like trying to figure out who could have done it. Um, and, and then, and then, so then that's kind of where like the case kind of picks up, right? So the opening statement is really that, like, this is sort of the kind of what we know and almost what we in the prosecution and the defense are accepting as fact as like the start of the night. Um, and then of course comes in the prosecution and how they're going to, assert that it was one of his friends um, who is the defendant, another person who was in that car with them who uh, who stabbed him. Like they had maybe had gotten into a little bit of an argument in the car as they were driving from the bar to this pizza shop. And at some point it escalated. They get out of the car. He stabs him, get back in the car. The car drives away, drops them off. And then that's sort of like the premise of the case. And it is, um, I mean, there, I mean, so many things like right off the bat that are heartbreaking about this one, like four friends go out, four or five friends go out together for a night, not unlike obviously in a different part of town than we would, than we would hang out in, but like, I don't know any, any initial thoughts on kind of what you're hearing and uh and where you place a scene like this no i mean obviously you and i live close here so i think i can envision it pretty well i think it's it's a credit to you and i said as soon as you were picked to be on the jury that you were like an ideal juror in a lot of ways um, because i think it's it's good of you to put yourself in the position of all these young men doing things like you say that you and I and our friends do. I think it would be easier in some ways to be like, 
those guys are different from us and maybe to to view their actions differently but it's very empathetic of you and credit to you to be like well it's actually just like sounds very similar to what my friends and i do at least the way to start the night and certainly it's it's hard to even imagine such a you know tragic event happening in our lives and hopefully it doesn't so all right those are my initial thoughts yeah yeah and i mean honestly for me that was like probably my first main observation um or like one of the reasons that i wanted to talk to you about this right because obviously we talk a lot about the different you know pro i don't know you know like what ails society the different problems that our government looks to address the different problems that kind of we see um within our society democracy like whatever and a lot of times it feels like the problems that we talk about in terms of like access to education, healthcare, like economic opportunities, things like that are really very different from problems that you and I face. And I think one of the things that was interesting to me is that like, yeah, there are some things that were that are very clearly different about this group of people. So the, you know, I'll give you an example, like the prosecution as they're bringing up witnesses to kind of like paint a deeper picture than I just did of like, you know, where the night started, where it went. She asked every single person, you know, what, you know, how old are you? What's your level of education? And, you know, what kind of job do you have now? And to a person, um, you know, none had graduated high school. Uh, one event, one got her GED and is like working uh, uh, in and has like a, you know, a proper like full time job. But the others were like, yeah, I kind of do odds and ends things in carpentry, uh, like between jobs or things like that. Right. So like in in one sense, their struggles financially may be very different from ours. Educational opportunities may have been very different from where we were but then there is this like fundamental like what do guys do <laughs> like a friday night you want to just yeah. meet up with your boys have a few drinks like that doesn't that aspect of it doesn't change and i think there is that like weird there's that commonality like obviously you know they may not head down to the seaport to get 20 dollars yeah. cocktails and so you know to be honest sometimes i, I don't like doing that either yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but like the the overall like you know the human nature element of just like spending time with your friends and like you know the kinds of things that you would do just get a few drinks go out hang out at a bar and you know effectively just like shoot the shit um is is so is so similar and then like even within the jury like there were a lot of people that we were I was you know the other members of the jury that I would have thought like I didn't have any real things in common with and, and it would always be stuff like that like oh did you check out this new restaurant or you know I'm planning a vacation I'm trying to go on this like cruise or whatever and definitely different socioeconomic backgrounds definitely different levels of education as well on the jury um I think that was like a really cool thing too like how diverse of a jury they were able to put together some people were first generation uh some people families lived in Boston for you know decades or generations really um from and from all over and so that was that's cool to see too and just people that you don't get a chance to interact with on a daily basis 
to hear, you know, there are some things where you're like, gosh, like I, you and I, I, it feels like we couldn't relate on anything. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're talking about something that you're like, oh yeah, I like, you know, I love that comedian or I, you know, I wish I'd gone to that show or something or what, you know, whatever it is. I, I thought that was, um, I thought that was really interesting and just, and just really, and just really cool. Uh, but I, 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 I digress. So we get, we get back into this case, right. And we're basically the, and I, and I like, I kind of asked you this about, um, about sort of like the prosecution and defense, because one of the things that frustrated me so much about this case was that I could never get like the story. No one was like, connecting the dots for me they're they're bringing up different pieces of information and i and i like because now that you work in this like public in in public defense uh just just wondering kind of how how you see that or like how maybe your how you are able to be as a lawyer kind of matches up with your perception of how lawyers are because i think in this experience one of the main things for me was like oh, this is at times really different. At times there were things that were similar about it, but um curious how, like how you found practicing versus, you know, what you envisioned you might be doing um, as a lawyer. Well, as one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you is like how few things, how few cases actually go to trial. And I think that's been one of the interesting things in just practicing in the last year where I've had many clients like many more clients than I actually expected to have this year and I haven't been to trial on any of them and largely like that's been a good thing but like whatever I want to talk about that more but it's like to get into the actual like so my first answer to your question is there's so much more like pre-trial stuff than I ever envisioned you know it's like how they say they put you in like you say you watch these great movies like a few good men or tv show like the wire or I know, Legally Blonde, or like all these kind of famous movies, the Law and Order, all those things, and you see like the they got they got the corrupt police officer up there, and they're cross examining him, bringing out the lie, or they have the defendant, and she finally admits that she's guilty of the crime. But really, like what we learn, what we're taught at least, is that like you your job throughout the trial is to kind of put all these dots out there, trust that the jury is is getting them. And then, and this is where I'd be interested to hear from you because throughout the trial, you were kind of like, they're not, they're not connecting the dots for me, but uh, we haven't talked since that closing arguments where theoretically, again, I haven't done one of these, but we're taught that's where they're supposed to connect all the dots, right? They're going to say like, listen, you heard X, Y, Z over the course of the trial, X, Y, Z matter because of A, B, and C. Therefore he is guilty, not guilty, whatever. Um, So I'd be kind of curious to hear after like your your perspective after the closing arguments because i know throughout the trial you were as you have alluded to a little frustrated with the attorneys that were not connecting the dots for you but we that's that that's not their job at, at that point in the trial at least yeah i mean the the pre-trial uh element of it i think is was was a huge bit i mean so there was a ton even during the trial itself where the attorneys basically had to do sidebars and they had to like talk to the judge about, you know, I want to ask this question. Is that going to be allowed? Is this, you know, uh, agreed upon between the attorneys as something that can be introduced as part of evidence? Um, 
So there, there is a definitely a lot of that going on that like, you know, the instruction is you're not supposed to pay attention to it. And it's funny in the courtroom, what they're doing is they, or this may be a Massachusetts thing, but what they did for us is whenever they did a sidebar and we were still in the courtroom, they would like crank up the white noise on like a TV so that we could we couldn't quite hear what was going on, but like if you peered over and you had like a good angle, you could like you could do some lip reading, lip reading, and it was usually the judge being like, "Don't ask that, <laughs> just don't do that." <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, and it was, and 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 that part of it was was really <clears throat> interesting. But there's, I think the like the preparation on all sides, like between the attorneys and the judge. Um, and the, like the judge has her own, like almost, uh, I, I forget what her title is, but she's an attorney as well. The clerk, I, I suppose maybe, um, well, clerk clerks are like crucial. They're the ones that make everything go, but rarely are they attorneys. Okay. But. So no, maybe not. Um, cause she, she was the judge definitely mentioned that she was an attorney, um, also, <clears throat> but yeah, they're like, constantly in in lockstep over what are the pieces of evidence that are going to be introduced how are different witnesses going to be questioned who who's able to ask like what witness what like what what witness is allowed to testify um to certain things um which was yeah just yeah when you see it in the movies the stories obviously are so clear to you as like a as like a viewer that you're always rooting for are either guilty or not guilty because you already know the answer and i think the thing about being on on the jury especially for a case that really isn't cut and dry because those seem to be the ones that are going to go to trial right like if it is so so obvious you would hope that there's going to be some kind of a plea deal and something that's addressed outside of court because there's nothing to decide within a courtroom. Um, is Does that like... Yeah. I'll just, feel right? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just pop in there, because that, that's exactly what it's been, is that for the district attorney's office, they're only trying to prosecute cases that they think they can win. And for a defense attorney, I'm only trying to go to court to take it to trial if I think I can win. If And there's so much, and this is one of the things that we've learned where... Jury trials used to be a much bigger part of the American like judicial system. But one of the reasons that they've declined so much is because the rules around like evidence and discovery, which is all of the things that both sides have to turn over to the other side before the trial have become much more like regulated over the last century. And so even now in the cases, and I'm not dealing with murder cases, but like by the time we get all of the discovery, we have a pretty good idea of like, if we took this to trial, like how would it go? And again, we're not trying to put our clients in a bad position where if we went to trial, they could potentially get like the maximum allowable penalty. If it looks like this isn't going to go well, we have every incentive to make a deal. And for both like practical and judicial and some like moral reasons, you know, the DAs don't need to be prosecuting or taking all of their cases to trial either. Right. And so, uh, it's yeah, there's there's so many like much more incentive to make a deal, which as you're pointing out, therefore really the only trials that the only cases that get to trial are the ones where both sides think that they have a good case to make them. Both sides think that they have a good chance to win. And that's what makes it, I think, fun, but also very challenging, uh, for I would imagine as a member of the jury. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Like the judge reminded us like several times that, hey, you're going to hear stuff from prosecution witnesses. You're going to hear stuff from defense witnesses. Like your job, your only job as a member of the juror is to basically decide what is fact and what is not. And then you take the sum of those facts and decide whether or not, you know, there is a reasonable doubt that this person is not guilty of the crime they're being accused of. And so that that that's like a, another interesting sort of twist on it in that like you can't like your your entire job is to is to make those decisions and then i think like you were saying like if the evidence is overwhelming that a person is guilty of a crime it's not going to make it to trial so you're in these positions when that evidence is is there like they're pretty sure they know what happened but they don't necessarily have enough to prove like to make it blatantly obvious. So that now they got to basically have a group of your fellow citizens decide whether it's enough or not. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of save the suspense and, and just go over the, the key pieces of the case that were presented to us. Basically, right. Like I mentioned, no, <clears throat> they, they were able to find the car or like, uh, basically follow the car that the that all five of these guys were driving around in um so they have so this is another element right like they have uh you'll notice on traffic cams these like the they're on traffic lights there's like this like bulb that sort of sits on the top of them and in Massachusetts we don't really have um speeding cameras where you can just get like a ticket mailed to you for running a red light but they are these Homeland Security cameras that do track footage of, of, um, of many of these major intersections. And so there were three <clears throat> pretty big intersections in this area that all had these traffic cameras. So you could sort of see the progress of this car. And then, and then sort of the ultimate twist is that the defendant had, um, presumably, because you're not allowed to consider it, through a previous crime, had a GPS monitoring bracelet on. Um, so we get one minute like readings of where his ankle is within a 20 meter radius of certainty. Um, and then we know what car he's traveling in. And then through that, because you can, <clears throat> because the victim had been on the phone basically two minutes before, uh, before, before the attack, um, you're able to kind of pinpoint within a five minute timeline when they arrive at this at this scene, which ends up being a, a parking lot in this neighborhood. They like pulled up to the side of the road near this parking lot. Um, and then from there, all of the like footage and evidence is is kind of blank. Like this is where the jury's decision comes in, right? So you know that from the car, there were four people in the car. One was the victim. One is the defendant. One is the driver of the car. And another is a friend of the defendants. <clears throat> the driver of the car, when they pull up, apparently stays in the car. He's the only one of the four of them who testifies that he stayed in the car, but he didn't see anything. The other three get out. Two get back in the car. The car turns around, seems very normal, takes off. So within a 90-second period, 
something happened to the victim. Now, the GPS is telling you that the defendant was in the area. Um, there's also the the group of guys that called 911 were theoretically also in the same parking lot. They had actually parked in the parking lot, whereas the victim, defendant, et cetera, were pulled up outside of the parking lot. Um, but the victim was found inside the parking lot. The, uh, this, the other group of people who called 911 stayed for a minute to see if 911 could find them, and then they took off. And so what you have is now some video, police video of both these cars leaving in a short period of time after this victim uh, is, I mean, that I mean, probably one of the hardest parts was starting to realize like what happened. This guy is 33 years old, right? So I'm a year older than him now. Um, and he is found basically face down, bleeding out in this parking lot. The stab wound had on, he was stabbed twice. One time it caught his femoral artery in, uh, on his right thigh basically and then the other one punctured his colon through his abdomen <clears throat> and within 10 minutes he was gone um and it was like and so you know they had like through some detective work and talking to some people like it was very clear that nobody really wanted to talk to the police it was also very clear that they felt like they had their guy. Um, and so there, there was, yeah, it was it, that this whole, that was basically the case against the defendant was that you're here at the same time. We have this pseudo witness who at least says that, you know, you got into an argument with him, bef you know, relatively shortly before he died. and we don't really place anybody else in the parking lot besides kind of the good citizens that called the police. Um, and that was sort of the case that was presented to us. And then, so, you know, when you were talking about like the corrupt cop, one of the big tactics that the defense used is the, the driver of the car ended up sort of being the star witness for the prosecution. I say sort of because he actually, when he got on the stand, kind of refused to say anything. It came out that he was there under subpoena um, and that during the course of the investigation, the police had basically said, we have the entire thing on video. If you don't confess and tell us exactly what happened and why it happened, we're going to hold you as an accessory to murder, accessory after the fact kind of thing. And so, I mean, that's like, you know, the, uh, a classic tactic, but at the same time, being on the jury, you understand that like, we don't, there's no knife. We can't find a knife. The blood trail all washed away. There was no evidence found in the car. Like if we don't get a confession, if we don't get someone to tell us what actually happened, we're not really going to know. And I guess the, we found this out. We weren't told this during the trial, but the other gentleman who was in the car, right? So I said, three of them got out, two of them got back in the defendant, the victim, and this third guy, the third guy, when he was interviewed by police, lied to them so many different times that they actually uh, arrested him for misleading a police officer during an investigation. 
And I guess once that happens, he's then allowed to plead the fifth amendment or take the fifth amendment so that he doesn't have to take the stand. So while they were able to subpoena this other guy to force him to testify, the guy who you would think would be the key eyewitness because he's being accused of another crime cannot be forced to testify lest he incriminate himself. So it was this like crazy thing. How did you hear that? Uh, so this was after the ca- after the case is over, the judge talked to us about um, l- literally like that serving on juries in cases like this can can cause some like significant amount of like anxiety or like a mini PTSD because you don't know if you did the right thing or if you should have done something different. Um, and so she was like, you know, at this point, I can answer some questions for you. I think I would imagine the first one that you have is like, what about this guy who was clearly there when this happened? And yeah. And so that, that was also an interesting piece because in the trial, they can't, they, they're not telling you anything about this person that they originally introduced as being in the car with all these guys as getting out of the car. And then the testimony stops and nobody asks, well, where, where is he? What happened to him? Um, and it it was basically because of this, near, like, I think a pretrial direction that we can't sort of speculate on what he saw or didn't see or where he was or wasn't exactly. And we can't force him to testify either. So what did you think of the clo- closing arguments? Did, did, were they able to connect the dots for you satisfactorily? Were you still kind of left a little frustrated at the end? Yeah, no, no, they, they definitely weren't. I expected the defense to try and and present like here are the plausible alternatives for other people who could have done it. They never did that. Um, and then for the prosecution, I expected them to be like, here are all the people that we put in this parking lot at the time of this crime. And here are all of the reasons why X, Y, Z, such and such couldn't have done this because we searched his car and there was nothing there. And he called the police and by the angle of whatever like you like in in the way in the tv shows when they find that one piece of evidence that completely pins this on somebody you're like okay great easy like i know exactly what i have to do and you just hope okay the jury that light bulb clicks for them as well and i think the hardest thing about this for me was that it was very clear that the police while they're pretty confident that they had the right person didn't have any evidence and also didn't really have the story like this like pseudo argument about going to a late night party later didn't I mean I didn't it didn't sit right with me it didn't seem to make any sense to me um but this was I think like the most heartbreaking and most difficult part of the entire process which was going back to the jury room to deliberate on you know, what are we going to do? Because at the end of the day, I think there was consensus amongst the jury that this person did it or knows exactly what happened and, and, or maybe responsible. I think this was like maybe the, the, the one thing that the prosecutor did, I think very deftly because she wasn't really allowed to ask about it, but she made it a point to ask all of the defendants like the friends and other people that he knew who also knew the victim 
as to whether or not they still hang out with him. And to a man and or a woman, they all said like, you know, following that date, we don't, we don't ever see the defendant anymore. Right. So there was this like idea going into the jury that like, Hey, if all of these people seem to hold him responsible, then maybe they know something that we don't know. But then of course, going into the jury room, the judge like is just hammering. The only stuff you are allowed to consider is the pieces of testimony that were entered in. You have to believe, you have to decide whether or not you believe them, but you can't speculate on things that aren't said. And then like the physical evidence, some of the GPS information, some of the video camera stuff, like that's all you get. And that was the toughest part. And so like I I was mentioning that our jury was pretty diverse and I thought it was both racially diverse as well as geographically diverse. You had people from the Dorchester, Mattapan, Roxbury neighborhoods, which are all, um, I think, traditionally like lower income neighborhoods in Boston, um, more on the like, you know, you would call them more like rougher parts of the city. And then you also had South End, Back Bay, me in South Boston, <clears throat> people who are working at MGH and or and like kind of like higher, more affluent places. And if I could tell you that the jury was split when it started, which direction would you put the residents of Roxbury, Mattapan, Dorchester versus the you know the uh, the ilk uh, of of my variety in terms of guilty or not guilty right so just like stereotypically you would think that people from those neighborhoods like the Roxbury Mattapan Dorchester would be more not guilty and more kind of anti-police versus more of the upper class people as you put them or from like the more affluent nicer neighborhoods would maybe be more trusting of police prosecution the government and more likely to say guilty again obviously very stereotypical and i'm sure you're setting me up to say well 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 <laughs> i mean you uh well yeah you read you you exactly read my mind and just another reason why i felt like i had to talk about this was that you're exactly right like the the complete opposite of what you might expect is what happened. And and really the toughest conversations were had with the people who live in these neighborhoods. And they were like, look, I know guys like this. Like, I don't like the fact that his, his buddies are not saying that he definitely didn't do it. The fact that they're telling you that he doesn't, they don't hang out with him anymore. Um, the fact that he was the, like the last person to see this guy alive, basically. Um, all of that tells me that he 100% did this. And I know that for a fact. And like, and I don't want to see a murderer go free on my streets. And I was like, that, that is, I like, what, 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 what is there to say to that? Like there, I had very, like, it was a very uh, difficult thing to hear because it really, I mean, and we've talked about this before, especially for people who feel are more sort of progressively inclined when we're talking about things like defund the police and um, other <clears throat> kind of anti, I don't even want to call it anti-police rhetoric, but it is that the idea that that like a huge part of the problem is 
is police in terms of like how it perpetuates situations of crime. And I don't even think that that's necessarily a wrong take. But at the same time, this idea that we can sit on the outside and prescribe the solution for people who live in these realities who by and large, like live very normal lives. I think that was the thing. Like they don't live in like battle zones, whatever the, you know, the kind of conservative idea of what Chicago and on the South side looks like by and large, it's not like that, but they do deal with these very, I mean, far too frequent, even if infrequent uh, episodes of violence. And for for I, I say for them and obviously generalizing again, but like there is <clears throat> there is an idea that that this kind of harsh punishment is how you best deal with these kinds of crimes. And uh, I mean, eventually we as a as a jury got back to just going over the law and what we're allowed to consider. And there were like some questions about, well, you know, voluntary manslaughter is on the on the docket can what if we just do that that seems to be a good compromise and it's like well we still have to be able to say that he definitely did do the killing first before you can think about whether you know there's enough mitigating circumstances to to knock it down to voluntary manslaughter so anyways so long story short we ended up with a not guilty verdict um after about i don't know close to nine hours of deliberation like we really got into and I think that was maybe the last cool thing I'll say about this jury is that you know in the system you put so much faith into your average citizen who's got their own lives going on they've got a lot of other things to do but to a person every single one seemed to take this very very seriously um and was not willing to just like walk in there and be like, yeah, whatever you guys want to do, don't, just sign me up. I want to get out of here kind of thing. Like everybody was really bought into how important this was because at the end of the day, obviously the defendant's life is on the line, but so is really the victim, victim's family and all, all of that. And that was, um, yeah, I mean, it's like a, it seems like such a ho-hum thing jury duty but it was like really kind of an emotional experience and actually so i i ended up being the foreman on the jury which <laughs> i thought was <laughs> rather uh comical and went and then was so I, I end up reading the verdict out loud not realizing like I, my voice is gonna start shaking i got this weird like pit in the, in my stomach which obviously i talk nonstop and never really have that so i didn't really know what was going on i say it Three of my jurors to the left start crying. The defendant is crying. His parents are crying. The victim's parents are crying. Like it was like a whole thing. And it was really like bringing you back to how, yeah, you just don't have those opportunities to like be a part of these things that truly, truly affect like so many lives beyond your own. Um, and it was, it was, it was a special experience. It was obviously a heartbreaking one from, from the jump, um, because of what happened and what feels like so senseless. I think being part of a jury that, that returns a not guilty verdict, obviously 
you know, your heart goes really out to the victim's family because they don't feel like their son died and they don't have anything, right? He had, he is young man, 33 years old, but he had two children. Um, and his mom was there. She testified on the first day and obviously she was there when the, when the ruling came out and even more sad because all of these people seem to know each other. Like, I think the mom of the defendant knew the mom of the victim and, and vice versa, um, through church and like other community things. So it was just, the whole thing was, was, was brutal in so many ways. Um, but, but yeah, so (laughs) glad I got to tell you the story. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, quite an experience. I'm glad I got to hear it. Um, proud of you. That's, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, and I said to you, couple weeks ago i think you are a perfect juror in some ways and exactly what you if if i was a defense attorney if i even obviously both sides were like he's 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 going to be fair and for so many ways for you to be able to put yourself like in the shoes of the the victim of the defendant of you know just a couple of guys young men like you said not that different from us grew up probably right down the street from us live down the street from us do things that we like to do and like you said it's as obviously as a, again, budding defense attorney, I'm like happy and proud that if the evidence wasn't there, if the prosecution didn't do their job, I'd much rather, you know, someone walk free than to put an innocent man behind bars. And so like, I'm happy to hear that outcome, but I also very much appreciate what you're saying and that, that there's still a, a victim out there and a victim's family out there that are, are probably you know crushed by that too. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's, these are brutal situations. Like you said, you, there's, there's, tra- there's just this tragedy all the way around for several families and probably for more families than that from all of the, the friends and um, family members of those people who are affected by this and for a community that's affected by this. So, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate you telling the story and obviously for taking so much care with it. I think one of the interesting things about so you and I both live in Boston. We're part of what's known as Suffolk County. And if you are called for jury duty in Suffolk County, they, they can send you anywhere in Suffolk County. And so I think a lot of times, like, I, like I've been, I think I've told you this, or yeah, like I've been put over in Chelsea a couple of times where I'm like, how do I go to Chelsea? is right down the street from me. You send me out to Chelsea. And, but I think that's really, and while that's frustrating for me, I think the point is exactly what you were talking about with where you got to make up of a jury, which has people from all over Suffolk County who are, as opposed to a jury in any one of these neighborhoods, which Boston, like many cities, perhaps worse than many cities, is still segregated racially, segregated socioeconomically. And so to really get a, a balanced jury of representing all of Suffolk County, you bring people in from all from all over the place. And I think that's that's really cool. And as like, I don't know, as challenging an experience as it must have been for you, I do, correct me if I'm wrong, like, it feels like it was a powerful, school isn't the right word, but like, a, a, a in some ways, a, a like, I guess powerful is maybe just the right word for it, of just a, you know, an important experience that you had a lot over the last few weeks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the judge isn't here to tell me that she told me so, but she definitely sort of said that at the beginning, like I know, because they preface like this will probably be a two week trial and no work isn't a, and a good, a valid reason to get out of it. Um, 
but I like, you know, I, I promise that it'll be something that you remember and, and most jurors say that it was a worthwhile experience. And I, I would, I would echo that. I think like the, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from it is just this reminder of kind of the human element for a lot of like the institutions that we work in. Um, you know, I mentioned that the trial had been delayed several times. The prosecutor we found out later had actually was not the original prosecutor on the case. It, uh, they, the previous prosecutor was transferred out like a month or two before the case, no, a month exactly before the case was uh, set to be tried. <laughs> and I think that like in hindsight, like it showed, like there were just areas where uh, the prosecution just didn't quite have like all of the all of the things kind of all of the the dots connected before they started and and it reminds me sometimes of like how yeah I'll go into a meeting or something that I probably should have more background on or should be able to answer more questions about and just kind of wing it and there is that like human element to that and and you know we we've talked private or like you know on our own about how difficult it must be to be like a public defender but the amount of preparation that it clearly takes to to mount a proper defense and or prosecution to me hearing about like puts a whole new spin on hearing like some public defender having like 12 or 13 active cases just like the amount of stones that you have to unturn you know overturn to do this right like i was like well why don't they have this phone record and why don't they have this uh other traffic came and it's like, well, you know, resources are constrained in everything that we do, but in these life or death situations and the way it's portrayed on TV, it's never like, oh, we just didn't have time to go through like another 200 hours of video footage. So this is what we got kind of thing. And then you're like, oh shit, but <laughs> like, that's how, that's how that works. But there, yeah, so much of that. And like, even within the jury room, there are some people who are like, ah, I don't know. Something about this defense attorney just like weirds me out a little bit or like gives me the heebie-jeebies. And you're just like, well, I, yeah, I like that's a part of it, too. Yeah, it is. It all matters. Yeah. Which is. Yeah. So it's so interesting and just like stuff that I either take for granted. I think it's amazing how well it works. And I think there are so many like official safeguards and judges who really take their position seriously and remind jurors of how to think about their position as well. Um, to like not take for granted though, how much it just matters that people are kind of good people and act with good intention um, to do the right thing for their fellow citizens in, in this space and, and really, really all over. And like they say, you kind of have two obligations as a citizen. One is to vote, and the others to when you're called, like serve on a jury. And um yeah, I I I don't think I'll think about it this way twice, although I really hope that it's more than three years before I get called again. That was be, beyond time consuming, just like a little bit emotionally, emotionally drained and gonna take some time to recover. No, I I definitely believe that. And this is why I've kind of sprinkled this in throughout, is that the amount of jury trials in, in the United States has declined precipitously over the course of the, the last century, really. And it was a foundation, obviously, of the Constitution, where you have the you know, Sixth and Seventh Amendments, which guarantee you the right to a 
a jury trial, a trial of your peers, an open trial, a right to confront witnesses, like all of those sort of things, like they were foundational things that we felt like we needed to have from from the start. I was looking at this because at you know when it was around World War II time, like 1938, about 20% of cases went to trial. In the 1960s, it was like 12%. And then by 2000, it was 6%. And now there's under 2% of cases that actually go to trial federally. Um, and in states, it's actually a, a far, even like a lower percentage in most states. We're talking you know, between 1% and 2% in most, most cases. And again, like we're doing, we had talked about before, generally, I think those are, it's a good thing in a lot of ways because you can speed things up a little bit systemically. And also, again, from a defense attorney's perspective, I'm never taking a client to jail, I mean, to, to trial where he could potentially get a longer jail sentence if we can get a better, if we can plead out and get a better deal for him before. So I think like strategically, it makes a lot of sense on, on both sides to do something like that. But it also, I do think we, we miss things and it's all of like the intangible things that you, you've mentioned and not, haven't even really highlighted, but just like they've stood out to me as you were telling this story, but just like the ability to get in a room and sit across from people and empathize with people that you maybe wouldn't normally interact with. And, and maybe those are the, the defendant and the victims, but they're also the jurors, like those conversations that you were able to have with people of different races and genders and sexualities and uh, incomes and all those sorts of education levels, what, how, like, however you want to stratify people. Like you just like, we don't, I would say the vast majority of people just don't have those in our day-to-day experiences because you're just normal. You're living your everyday life. And generally, your everyday life is surrounded by people who are in more ways than not like you. And I think this brings people together. And in some ways, I think as difficult as it was for you, it seems to have almost like restored some of your faith, like the whole process, which I think is good because it's so easy for any of these processes, whether it's democracy or policing or criminal, the criminal legal system to kind of throw stones from the outside but to actually be in there and when you kind of see come face to face and work side by side with like regular people who are really trying to do their best for like their fellow citizens. It's like, this is, this is what everyone kind of, this was the system was designed for. Like it, it, and it, it works, right? Like, I, and, and that's, I think that's powerful. And it's something that I'm a little inspired just hearing it, but I imagine you're more inspired having lived it. And because we have fewer and fewer jury trials, fewer and fewer people have those type of experiences. Yeah, I, I, as you know, I am I am cynical by nature, and I was very pleasantly surprised to have a lot of that cynicism in this experience chipped away at for for exactly the the reasons that you that you said. Like going in there, you know, a lot of people kind of hem and haw about having to take off work and are they going to pay me and all this sort of stuff. But when it came down to it, everybody showed up basically right on time every day. We were there like nine to four, nine to four thirty. No one talking about the trial when they weren't supposed to be. And everyone sort of, when it came to deliberations, just being super diligent and like sometimes it's hard to believe given what we see in the world that 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 that's you know i mean this is behind closed doors like no there's nobody there really to see you except for perhaps some of your other jurors but at the end of the day it's it's a lot of it is is on you and but that is in so many ways what like what people 
do. This is like how how people are and why, for the most part, even though we tend to highlight some of the areas of dysfunction, for the most part, like our systems really do work pretty well. Well, that's a nice way. And I do feel like this was like a little bit of therapy for you where like, uh, you know, like, seriously, it just felt like it, it did. I felt like emotional and I felt the weight of it as you were telling me it. And I, of course, I'm hearing it secondhand after it's over, you've had to do it. And like, it's, I had no idea. I, I figured it was fairly serious that they were taking two weeks to do it, but that's, it's heavy. And it's a, you know, again, proud of you and all your fellow jurors for like the work that you guys did. Um, and th- thanks for sharing. I think this, uh, I found this really interesting. Hope other people did too. Um, we'll be back with regular scheduled programming sooner rather than later. There's still so much we have to talk about, but I give, I give Ricky uh, a lot of grief sometimes for being too busy to record episodes. Uh, but this, this is one of those times where I, I can't give him too much grief considering he was serving on a jury for two weeks and then going home and doing work all, all night and is still catching up on things. So I think that the the weight was was worth it. Not only most importantly for how you how you represented the, yourself in the criminal justice system out there, but also this I think is going to be a a powerful, interesting. I'm I'm excited to go back and listen to it. Yeah, well, you're you are right about one thing. This was definitely therapeutic for me. Uh, a bit of a bit of needed catharsis for sure. Good. Well, that's what we're here for. Every once in a while, it's good to have one of these and a, a little bit of a different episode. But again, hope people enjoyed it. And like you said, we'll be back with regular scheduled programming with some 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 thoughts on some of the main stories over the past couple weeks very soon. That's it. And uh, yeah. And in the meantime, if you enjoyed this or or anything like this, you can follow us on Instagram at a underscore gentleman's underscore disagreement. Um, And we'll see you next time. See you soon. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though it did not share The pains we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better than rain. Somewhere along the line, we seem to have forgotten the values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, some morning let your ego bruise. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. 
from folks of different minds Because though we didn't share opinions We share an American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning bus I need an early morning bus There's hope behind the bluster Cause though Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find And change the lines And folks of different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz Need an early morning bird.